It is great to be here with you. Uh, I don't know how many of you know, but uh, uh, Dave shared a little bit about it. Twenty, uh, almost 21 years ago now, we left this church to go start a church over in Calvary Chapel of, uh, of our church, Calvary Chapel of Tucson, uh, with six people there. And uh, the Lord has really blessed, and the Lord continues uh, to bless you guys here. And uh, we are excited to see what God is doing here and what God is going to continue to do. And I have a question for you guys as we start. Are you guys ready for a Bible study? All right. Then open up your Bibles with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll be covering the first few verses today. If you are visiting here today, we want to welcome you. And it is our prayer that while you are here, that the Lord would touch your heart. If you already know the Lord and you're visiting, it's our prayer that your walk with Him would be enhanced. And that's our desire as we gather together here this evening. We want our walks with Christ to be enhanced. We want them to be deepened. We don't want to just go through the motions, coming to church week after week, doing what we're supposed to do spiritually, and not have God touch our hearts. We want God to grab us and shake us. I would rather have God chew me out than not say anything to me at all. And that's our desire tonight, that the Lord would chew us all out a little bit. Show us what needs to be changed and then encourage us in the things that we're doing that are correct and the things that we are doing that are right. And if you don't know Jesus tonight, if you've never taken that opportunity to invite Jesus into your life, you may be religious, you may have grown up religious, you may have been baptized as an infant, but you have never come to that place where you've said, I want Jesus here. I want to live for him. I want to lay down my life and I want to live my life for him then before we leave this place tonight, we're going to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and to begin to live for Him. And the Bible says, if you'll do that, that your life will be transformed. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, everything becomes new. So before we leave this place today, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. So with that said, let's pray for our study, and if you would, join me in prayer for my son as well. Father, we do want to thank you for the opportunity that we have in being able to gather together here in your name. We thank you for the work that you are doing. We thank you for the work within our lives personally, and we trust you completely with our lives and with ourselves. Lord, we pray that as we take time to study your word today, that you would evaluate us. As always, we give you permission to do in us anything that you want to do. We remember that you stood at the door. You said you stand at the door and knock. And if any man would open the door, that you would come in and dine with him. And that you said that to the church. And Lord, if you're outside of our lives and if you're knocking on the hearts of our door or the doors of our heart and you want to come in, then we pray that we would open up and allow you in to do whatever it is that you want to do. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. First of all, is the lapel more working? If I move around, can you guys still hear me? It was um, during the baby dedication. It reminded me 21 years ago that I stood up here and dedicated my daughter, Jessica. And I looked at that and I thought, boy, a lot of time has passed in those 21 years since I was here dedicating her. The title of our message today is The Heart 
of the one God uses. Or we could say a usable heart. What kind of man or what kind of woman does God choose to use? Not long ago, we had some relatives in town and and in the evening, we watched the show The Apprentice. You know which one that is? That's the one where Donald Trump chooses some young executive to run one of his, you know, multi-billion dollar projects. And the first thing that I realized as we sat down to watch this program was that television evangelists no longer have the worst hair in TV. That now belongs to Donald Trump. The second thing that I noticed was anytime these people were asked, why should you be chosen? That they were ready to give a list because I am better than anyone here because I'm very good in this area. I'm very good in that area because I believe in myself. And they took that as a PR opportunity to really present themselves as to why it should happen. And I thought as I watched it, that's the exact opposite of how God chooses people. In fact, if you say, Lord, you ought to choose me because I'm pretty awesome. I mean, God, look at me. I'm a really neat person. God says, you know what? I'm just going to bypass you. In fact, you could stick a fork in yourself because you are done. (laughs) But if you are the kind of person that says, I am inadequate, maybe you say on a regular basis, I don't know that God can use me. I'm inadequate. I don't have what it takes. Well, you are the exact kind of person that God wants to use. And what a contrast from the world. See, it's not that God's looking for the dumbest among us. Now, I wrote on my original notes today, not that God's looking for the most dumb among us. And my wife said, you might want to change that because, you know, it becomes an example because it's wrong. It's not that God is looking for the dumbest among us. He looks past our abilities or past our lack of abilities. He looks past our accomplishments or past our lack of accomplishments. He looks past our brains and our schooling or the lack of our brains or schooling. And he looks at our hearts. God examines us. And when we think that God chooses people, and and oftentimes leaders fall into this, oftentimes they think it's about themselves. I will have young pastors that will set up lunches with me because they see the success of Calvary Chapel of Tucson. And they want to sit down and talk to me about how they can be successful. And one of the first mistakes I note that they make when they do is they say, you know, God gave me a vision about how God's going to use me. God gave me a vision about how great things are going to be done. And that you can tell by what they're saying that they think it's about them. It's not about them. It's about the people that God wants to reach. It's like years ago when I heard someone say, I want the power of God in my life. And I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray until the power of God is used in my life. Then later on, God used him to pray for a couple of people and they were healed. And he said, that's the reason God did it. Because I prayed and I fasted and therefore God touched him and healed him. And I thought, how wrong can that be? Is God really up in heaven saying, oh, I just want to show you my power. Therefore, I'm going to heal this person that has cancer. Or could it have been that God had a heart for the person who had cancer? Could it have been that God saw the sorrow and the pain and the heartache of that family and that God had mercy upon them? 
When we begin to think it's about me, it's all about me, I think we lose any perspective of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is really about, which is to reach out to those who are lost and hurting and so desperately need Jesus Christ. And those are the people that are around you. That's where you are. Listen, God wants to use you. I have no doubt about that. God didn't choose me. When I was 14 years old, I gave my life to the Lord. God didn't look at me and say, wow, that Robert Furrow, he's really talented. He's really smart. He's really with it. He's together. I think I'll use him. I can do things through him. I'm persuaded God looked at me and thought, I got to use him because nobody else will. (laughs) He, He needs a whole lot of help. God wants to use you. First Peter chapter four says, as each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another. Each one of you has been gifted by God and we are to minister to one another. And then it goes on to say, when you do what you do, do it with the ability that God supplies so that God gets the glory. So that people will say, it certainly has to be God that did this because they could have never have done it. It's interesting to me that in Old Testament times, God anointed the leaders, right? You remember Aaron was anointed by God and they poured the oil on Aaron's head and it ran down his hair and off his beard and onto the ground. A little bit later on, Samuel brought oil and poured it over David's head as a teenager. The oil ran down his hair and onto his peach fuzz and onto the ground. Of course, we read that Samson was anointed. And at one point he got up and he did not know that the Holy Spirit had left him. And of course, the anointing is a symbol of the spirit being given in the office that Aaron had as a priest, in the office that David had as a king, in the office that Samson had as a judge. God took his leaders and he anointed them. But you remember in the book of Joel and then quoted later on in in Acts chapter two, you remember that it was said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days I will pour out my flesh or, or my spirit on all flesh, not my flesh on all spirits, but I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In other words, what he was saying is there's coming the day in the last days when I'm not going to pour my spirit out only upon the leaders, but I'm going to pour my spirit out upon all the people in the church. And God has done that. And he's looking for individuals. Do you remember Jesus saying of John the Baptist that he was the greatest of all of the Old Testament prophets? What a phenomenal statement to say, by the way. That, that John the Baptist was the greatest, better than, greater than Elijah, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than others who are considered to be prophets, Elisha, some of the others that you might say, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and he's greater than all of those. But it's the next statement that absolutely blows my mind. He said he is the greatest of the Old Testament or the greatest of the prophets, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven. Are you here tonight? Anybody? Anybody least in the kingdom of heaven? I'll raise my hand. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. See, God was changing things where God was moving to use people to affect their world around them. And how much more powerful is that? God can raise up leaders to do great things, but how many people can they really affect? But everywhere you go, there is no one who can affect your world the way you can. You realize that? I can't affect your world the way you can. You can't affect my world the way that I can. 
When God pours his spirit upon me and I go to Jesus and drink, as it says in 1 John chapter 7, and out of me gush torrents of living water, it pours out into the people that God has given me to influence and it pours out around the people that God has given you to influence into their lives that you can make a difference where they are. The job of a pastor, the job of the teacher, do you remember this according to the book of Ephesians? Is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The job of a pastor is to get you guys ready to go out and do the work that God has called you to do. Several years ago, a good friend of mine, he ran sound for us. He was an engineer. He's a good friend of mine. And he was moving. And sometimes, you know, there are those people that move and you're just heartbroken over it. Sometimes there's those that move and you're happy. But sometimes there's those that move and you're heartbroken. And I was really heartbroken over Carl leaving. And he wrote me a letter. And the letter is kind of a story. And it was a story about an old blacksmith who took care of the shields and the helmets and the swords of the soldiers, of the warriors who went out into battle. He talked about the sparks flying and the red flame and, and the beating of those swords and making them sharp and handing them over to the warriors who were going out into battle. And after this whole analogy that he did, page and a half long, at the very end of it he said, you've been a blacksmith to me. You've pounded my sword, you've sharpened it up, you've put on my armor, and now I'm going out to fight as, as you've helped me prepare for. And I was so moved with that letter. Because that's the job that a pastor has, is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. May it be that God would open up doors for you. May it be that you would look around you, where you work, where you live in the fire department or police department or the shop that you work in or the office that you're at or the school that you're going to. May it be that you could once again look through the eyes of God and see people who need Jesus Christ and pray that God would use you flow through you to transform their lives. And I know as I encourage you along those lines that you guys are already doing that. But may it be that the Holy Spirit would go before you and open up doors even more than that. Now, when we look at Nehemiah in chapter 1, we see the kind of heart that God uses. And there's a few things about Nehemiah that I absolutely love. It says, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Shislev, in the 20th year, I was in Shushan, the citadel. Sounds like it ought to be Sean Connery saying that. I was in Shushan, the citadel. Sorry, a little bit too much hanging around Gino Geraci. Then in verse 2, that Hananiah, one of the brethren, came with me from Judah, and I asked concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. The first thing that we note about Nehemiah is, who is he? Nehemiah wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a judge. He wasn't a leader in Israel at all. Now, he was a man who had a unique position in his job in that he had the king's ear, King Artaxerxes, but he wasn't the king. He was the cupbearer for the king. See, and you might say, well, that's a pretty unique job and you've got the king's ear and you might be able to bring some things before the king. But do you realize that God has given you a unique job as well? God's placed you in a unique place with a unique sphere of influence around you. And you might think, well, well who am I? That God could use me. Well, well, who was Nehemiah? Who was his father? 
You guys ever heard of him before? What does it say? The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. You ever heard a Bible study on Hakaliah? What is his lineage? There's no lineage of Nehemiah to speak of. Who is he? He's a man who has a unique position and he's just doing his job. And out of doing his job comes this opportunity. Nehemiah, boy, the whole book is, is a book on leadership. He gives us great examples on how to lead. And out of this man that's just doing his job comes this, this opportunity to be able to minister. And I believe as you do whatever it is that God's called you to do, even in your homes, with your families, whatever it might be, that out of that job, God's looking to do some pretty neat things, even as he did in the life of Nehemiah. There are a couple of things that I note about Nehemiah as well that he didn't do. He wasn't craving leadership. We don't ever read that Nehemiah wanted to to, to lead rebuilding the wall. We don't ever read that he fasted and he prayed for so long that he might be able to get God to use him in some kind of a leadership way. In fact, I don't know that God chooses people who begin to seek in that way. You know, I talked to you about praying and fasting and a little bit earlier in hell, especially in my background, because before I came to Calvary, I was involved in some Pentecostal churches and four square churches. And and oftentimes there was a real desire for God to move. And and to some degree, there was an expectancy, which was good, an expectancy that I I believe that God's going to move. But there was also this desire to kind of put an arm lock on God and make him move. Do you remember when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration? And you remember the disciples have been trying to cast out a demon and they haven't been able to do it. And Jesus cast the demon out and then later on they come to him and they say, Lord, why couldn't we do it? And he says, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. And the idea some have gotten is prayer and fasting is the way we charge our batteries. We got spiritual batteries and we want the power of God in our lives. And therefore, if I pray and I fast, then it charges my battery and then I'm going to cast demons out and lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. That's the idea people get. But wait a minute. Could it have been that Jesus was saying, pray for him? Could it have been that he was saying, see, fasting is not a way of putting a spiritual arm lock on God. You know what fasting is? It's a way of mourning. When you are grieving, you guys know this. Every one of you here have grieved. You've lost someone close to you, haven't you? You know what it's like to grieve. What's one of the first things that happens? You lose your appetite. When someone's really grieving, those around them come to them and say, you got to eat, don't you? Haven't you done that? You, you got to eat. You just can't keep going without eating. You got to eat. Why? Because they're mourning and fasting is mourning. It's saying this has taken place and I'm going to mourn over this. And so when Jesus said fast, it was fast for this boy who was possessed by a devil. It meant really begin to care for him in particular. He was not craving leadership. He was not saying, I just want to be used no matter what. Sometimes I think when we begin to approach things that way, we could never be more wrong. God is looking for a channel that he might be able to reach out and influence those that are around us. He was a man that cared about hurting people. And that is evident in verse 2 when he begins to ask about the Jews that had escaped, gathered together back in Jerusalem. Now let's talk for a moment about the setting. You remember that they had been taken into captivity. Jeremiah had prophesied that they would be there for 70 years. 
Daniel later on was reading Jeremiah 25:11 and found where it said that they were going to be delivered in 70 years and began to realize that things were beginning to unfold. And then they were delivered. But not all the people that were in captivity went back to Jerusalem. In fact, just a handful went, really. People back with Ezra and later on another handful with Nehemiah. But they had gone back to Jerusalem. And they're now living in that area. And that's who Nehemiah is asking about. How, how are those that escaped and are, are in Jerusalem now? The response in verse 3. They said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and the gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept. Nehemiah cared about them. Nehemiah didn't care about himself. He cared about them. Could it be that God is looking for men and women who will look around them And care about the people who are around them. Really care about the distress they're in. The walls in their day were safety. The walls kept the wild animals out. The walls gave them some kind of a barrier when the armies would come in and attack. And could it be that God's looking for those who are willing to say, it's not about me, but it's about the ones to be ministered to? Could it be that God is looking for those who would say, I want to I want to care for those who are there. David had that. You remember? You remember when he went to talk to Saul? They came to Saul and they said, "We got somebody who's going to fight the giant." Saul said, "Oh, bring him in." And here comes David and Saul says, "Is this a joke? He's been a warrior since his youth and you are just a youth." Later on when David comes running out on the battlefield, I love it that Goliath says, "Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick?" He wasn't saying that David had a stick. He was saying that David was the stick. Am I a dog? You just come out here with a shoe, shoe, go away and get out of here. And David says to him, listen, I was taking care of my sheep at home and a bear attacked my sheep. And I grabbed that bear by the beard and I killed it. How do you grab a bear by the beard and kill it? You know, you get right, you know, I'm going to grab it by the beard. Okay, you're just going to, you know, okay, okay, look over there. You know, how do you do that? And how do you kill the thing? And then he said, and then later on, a lion attacked my sheep. And I grabbed that lion by the beard and I killed it. And the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David cared for the sheep. Could it be that that is the heart that God was looking for to honor could it be for you and I that God would move in mighty ways? What does it say, Second Chronicles 16, 9, I believe it is? The eyes of the Lord move to and fro across the face of the whole earth that he might show himself strong to those whose hearts are loyal towards him. When I was a young Christian, I used to read that as sin. I would read it like this, that God's eyes move to and fro that he might show himself strong to those who have overcome sin in their lives. Because I was part of what was called the holiness movement back then. And they taught that if you could get rid of sin in your life and you could be holy, then the power of God would be there. But that's not what it says. I'm not saying that you can have sin in your life and still have the power of God in your life. You've got to take care of the sin. But what I'm saying is that God's looking for a loyal heart to him. King Asa had gone out and hired someone rather than trusting in the Lord. David had a heart to be used by God and and God used him. I've got a good friend of mine. 
He is actually our youth coordinator, a guy by the name of Pete LaJoy. And Pete has the gift of evangelism. And it is a pretty phenomenal gift. God will use him. We went to, oh gosh, it's been a while now. We went to Ireland probably six or seven years ago now. And just me and him went on a pre-trip to see if we were going to do outreach from our church to Ireland. And um, we're in the LAX airport. Mm, I'm hungry. And so I look over and there's like a cafeteria style place there. And so I say to Pete, let's go get something to eat. So we get our stuff and we go over to get something to eat. And we're making our way down. And I'm, you know, picking stuff out. I want, you know, that piece of meatloaf and I want the mashed potatoes and I want, you know, some of the corn and the green beans. And I get down to the end to pay and I look back up and Pete is still with the mashed potato lady. And she's crying as he's sharing Christ with her. And I think I, I was there 30 seconds ago. How do you make someone cry sharing Christ with them? In 30 seconds. It's because when you talk to Pete LaJoy, he has a real heart for those who are lost. See, when I got there, I was like, yeah, yeah, more, a little more, Matt. Can you put me a little more mashed potatoes? Thank you. Thank you very much. When he got there, he saw the person who was scooping out the mashed potatoes. And I don't even know how he did it. Would you like to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? He really does love you. You might be going through a tough time right now. Oh, come here. It's okay. I'm going to pray for you. You know, how does he do that? How do you do it in that amount of time? I have no absolute clue. But when you talk to him, he's got a real heart for people. We get on the plane. That same trip, we get on the plane to go and we're divided up because there's only a couple seats that are left. And I can hear him throughout the plane begin to witness. We haven't been there for 15 seconds. He's got his Bible open. And he's saying it loud enough for everybody to hear in the whole plane. And you know, the Bible says, and you know that he's going on about it. And I'm thinking, I want to witness to somebody. So I asked the guy next to me, where are you from? Where are you going? What do you do? Well, never mind. I'll just read my Bible to myself. I believe that what made Nehemiah usable wasn't his position, but it was the fact that he, when he heard that those people were in distress, he cried tears for them. He cared about them. He loved them. He wanted to see some kind of a transformation take place in their lives. It says in verse 4, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and mourned for many days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And you might say, now wait a minute, you made a point earlier to saying that fasting and praying wasn't a way to twist God's arm. Now Nehemiah fasts and prays. Well, what about that? Well, he wasn't fasting and praying to try to gain the power of God to make God move. He was fasting and praying for those people. He was mourning for them and he was calling out to God for them. And then he made himself available. Verse five, he says, and I said, I pray, O Lord, God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenants of mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. And then his prayer goes on. I don't want to cover the prayer completely, but I want to get down to verse 11. It says, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of the man, for I was the king's cupbearer. What Nehemiah did was make himself available to God. 
Years ago, I remember listening to Chuck Smith tapes. I would get them. It's, it's interesting. When I, would, I went to Highland High School, by the way. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but I went to Highland High School and uh, Van Buren Junior High Emerson Elementary School. And uh, in, in Highland, I would ditch my classes, walk across Central where they had the Hosanna Tape Library. Do you guys remember when it used to be there? And I would get Chuck Smith tapes. I would go back to my car. I'm 15, 16 years old at this point. I'd go back in. I had an under-the-dash cassette player. I'd plug in the tape, and I would listen to the tape while I was ditching classes. <laughs> Little did I know that God was training me there. And I'm not saying, by the way, those who were in school, to do that, to ditch and, and go do that. But little did I know that that was better training for what I would do than actually going to my classes. But I remember listening to a tape by Pastor Chuck, and maybe some of you guys will remember this study. When he talks about seeing a billboard that said, available now. And he turned it and he said, are you available? Can you say across your life, available now, God? I'm available for you. Nehemiah made himself available. God, let me prosper in in, in the sight of the king. And I'm willing to step up and do it. When you see people hurting around you. When you see people who desperately need Jesus Christ. When you see them hostile towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And hostile towards you. You know quite often. It's because God is actually touching their heart. I remember years ago. And I mean I give names like this with you guys. Because some of you will remember it. Uh, I worked at a place called Murphy Dorn. We used to put on convertible tops. It was just right over here. Off of um, Osuna and San Mateo. And I worked there. And uh, some of the guys there. I would just started working there. And some of the guys there. Like two weeks into it said. We're sick of you telling us about Jesus. I hadn't even started yet. I was gonna. <laughs> but I, haven't even, I hadn't even started to tell them about the Lord yet. I believe that God's desire is that we might be able to reach out and minister to those. They were hostile because God was already working. The Holy Spirit was already working in their lives. And often they will become hostile towards us. Because it is Christ in us the hope of glory. And even though physically they can't look at you and see Jesus, in the spiritual realm, it's there. And the spiritual realm is, I believe, it's more real than the physical. In the spiritual realm, the Holy Spirit is in you, and He is with them, and He is working on their hearts. Make yourself available for that which God has called you to do. Now, a couple more things before we wrap up and close here. Let's consider for a moment the project that Nehemiah was called to do. Because you might think, you know, Nehemiah, the great leader and a great book on leadership. But do you know what Nehemiah was called to do? Nehemiah too, whoever that would be. But Nehemiah was called to do a construction project that was finished in, you guys know how long? 52 days. Nehemiah was called to do a construction project, build the walls around Jerusalem. And it was done in 52 days. You might think, boy, what I'm called to do by God isn't any great thing. Is a construction project a great thing? You say, come on, they're the walls of Jerusalem. At least that counts for something. And I agree with that. But nevertheless, it's still just a construction project that he's called to do. And all of the spiritual principles that he used applied in the construction project. Don't ever think what God calls you to do, how he gifts you, is insignificant. 
God's desire is to do, I believe, great things in the construction projects that he gives you to do. Or whatever it might be that God has gifted you, empowered you, and called you, and anointed you to be able to carry those things out. Now, those walls that he built are an analogy of our lives. Making sure that we have the walls up that we need to have up personally, that we can be secure. When we come to Christ and our relationship is right with him, the walls are around us. The enemy attacks, but he can't get in. The wild animals try to devour, but they can't devour. And I think I'd be a little bit amiss as we talk about Nehemiah tonight if I didn't encourage those of you that have some gaps in the wall to rebuild the wall. Is everything right between you and God? Your relationship with him? Are you as in love with him today as you ever have been? Or do you need to make things right? Do you need to come back to him and say, Lord, there's some gaps in the wall and I want to fix them. I want to put them back up again. That I can walk with you in the security that you have given me. In all that you want me to do. May it be that God would open up doors around you in great and awesome ways. For you to be able to share Jesus Christ with the lost and perishing world. May it be that our eyes would be kept on the cause. Paul told the Corinthians, I came to you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he said, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation. That's what's going to continue to change this city. That's what's going to continue to change the hearts of the people who are here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may God anoint you today May he pour his Holy Spirit out over us. May he fill us. I know there's controversy as to whether or not it's the baptism of the Spirit, infilling of the Spirit. There's a first experience or second experience of the Holy Spirit. You know what? I don't care about any of that controversy. I just want the Holy Spirit to fall upon me. I want him to empower me and I want the Holy Spirit to empower you. You might even be a little fearful. The Holy Spirit comes upon me now. I'm going to do weird things. No, those that, you know, do weird things and blame it on the Holy Spirit, it's because they're weird. That's why it's done. (laughs) The Holy Spirit's going to give you more control. But I want to pray for you tonight. I want to pray that God's Holy Spirit would pour over you. That you would come to Him and drink, as Jesus said in John chapter 7, and that out of you would gush torrents of living water, and that you would be filled with the Spirit, that you would be empowered by God. That the gifts of the Spirit would be fanned within you. That God would give you opportunities to use them. And that you would be the salt in this city. You're the light of the world, Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. We are to go out and make those radical differences in those that are around us. And as I said, for those of you who are here who have never invited Jesus into your life, I want to give you an opportunity after we pray. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do want to thank you. As we look at the heart of Nehemiah and we see him crying, weeping over those who are in distress. You even said to us that those who sow in tears will rejoice when they are bringing in the sheaves. Lord, we want to sow in tears. We want to pray for our family members who don't know you. May our heart be struck with the fact that they are perishing without you. We want to pray for those that we work with, those in our home, children that we are raising. 
that they would know you. That we might really be able to care for them and love them and see you move. Lord, not on our behalf because we want to see you do great things, but because there's needs. We remember over and over again in the book of Mark that it said that Jesus looked upon the crowds and had compassion on them. He saw the pain and the hurt and the sorrow and he had compassion upon them. And may it be, Lord, that we see the crowds the same way you do. That we would see the hurting, those who so desperately need you. I pray for those who are here, who have walked with you, who've made commitments to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with your spirit, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon them now, that you would strengthen them and empower them and gift them that they might be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, which would be Albuquerque, New Mexico. That we would be able to take the message of the gospel and see people's lives transformed. And I pray for those who are here today who have never made a commitment to you. I pray that you would give them the boldness to take the next step. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.